You're listening to Fit Girl, your guide to getting in shape, the podcast dedicated to helping you separate fact from fiction in fitness. Stop struggling and learn what really works to get the body you want and keep it. For more details about this podcast and other episodes, visit fitgirlpodcast.com. This is podcast episode number 251. In this episode, how to use the training methods we've discussed to get the results you want, belly fat, myths and truths, and how to get rid of it. And the second question to ask yourself when setting goals and making a plan for success. In the last several podcasts, we've discussed several different methods of working out and ways to challenge yourself and make your body change. And it might seem a little bit overwhelming, but I tried to break it down so that you could understand that there's different periods throughout the year that you can use some of these different training techniques. It doesn't mean that you have to use them all at the same time. And as a matter of fact, you shouldn't use them all at the same time. One of the things to keep your body changing is, of course, to change your workout, but not to change it so frequently that your body never gets a chance to adapt, because that is what it's all about, adapting, but then changing before your body gets too accustomed to it. So which method would be right for you to use based on your goals? Well, if your goal is to see your body change, then pretty much each one of those can be used, whether it's the eccentric methods, the periodization circuits. Anything that you can think of can be used just as long as it's done for a certain period of time. And usually that's anywhere from four, three, four if you're a very advanced trainer, to uh, six to eight weeks if you're a beginner trainer, which means beginner doesn't always mean beginner. It might mean you've had a long layoff. It might mean that you've been very inconsistent. So it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're brand new at working out. And since a lot of people recently have had a layoff due to COVID and their change in schedule, I would actually say that the best way would be to follow it the way we did discuss it. So starting with the eccentric exercise, you are going to be focusing on the negative and the lowering portion of the exercise. And that, of course, is going to force you to slow down. And that seems to be the biggest problem everyone has with working out is they go too fast. So focusing on that slow lowering portion of the exercise hopefully will get you into a good habit of actually slowing the exercise down itself and really focusing on the particular muscle that you're working on while you're working it and not just focusing on getting out a certain number of repetitions or lifting a certain amount of weight but getting that mind into muscle connection that'll enhance everything else you do from here on out. So then the next method will be going into that periodization. And for some people, that's taking it in a cycle of maybe increasing the weight as you go through four or five weeks, and then maybe increasing the repetitions and trying to keep the weight as high as you had it before. So just because you're having higher repetitions does not necessarily mean you need to be just automatically dropping your weight. If you're going for more endurance type training, then you want to have as heavy a weight as possible for those higher repetition ranges. So often what we'll do is start out with something that is using as heavy a weight as possible, let's say for 12 to 15 repetitions, and then the next cycle focusing on increasing that weight so that you're doing as many as you can for six to eight reps, but then the next cycle actually tries to keep those weights that you were using for six to eight reps, but do 12 to 15 with them. Now, a lot of times I don't have clients go really much past 10 repetitions on a lot of exercises, but there is a component there if you wanted to drop some weight, keep your metabolism going a little bit faster or your heart rate going a little faster, um, and you wanted to get a little bit more with those repetitions to get more endurance out of it, that would be certainly a good plan. So, I mean, so now we've got one, two, four plans, right? One, two, three, yeah, four plans that you would be able to follow in sequence. And then or the fifth one would be using the circuits. So again, just kind of going along the line that we discussed everything, taking the circuits of some of those exercises or completely different exercises. I mean, really change it all up. Do some of those exercises that you try to avoid because you really don't like them. You never know. Sometimes you might actually like them. But, you know, some things like that for your circuits or even doing one-legged things um, like reverse lunges or front lunges, anything to mix it up and keep yourself constantly moving And again, get your body used to something completely different. Well, hopefully not completely used to it, but allow it to train a different way. That's the whole point is to mix everything up 
to a point. So at that rate, you could have, let's say, four weeks for each method. Well, let's see, we're looking at four or five. Yeah, so you already got half your year done, and then you just repeat. I mean, it's that simple. And when I say repeat, it doesn't mean necessarily repeat the exact thing. Repeat the, the format. So the different techniques, maybe, but of course, got to vary those exercises. I mean, I know there's those always those go-to exercises that you feel great about, but sometimes, you know, you really have to leave that comfort zone and grab some of those exercises that you really don't like or get a trainer to show you some new exercises. I mean, there's so many different things that you can be doing out there and watching somebody else do it is not a good idea because even if they look great, because I've seen this a lot, somebody looks great, they're doing the exercise completely wrong. So your best bet is to definitely hire somebody. Just use that as a educational investment because that's going to teach you how to do something correctly. You're going to be able to ask questions and understand more about how you should and should not be doing a certain movement rather than just copying somebody who might not know what they're doing at all. And unfortunately, I see that so much in the gym and that still happens. I mean, I would think after 30 years or so, people would stop doing that, but they still do. So don't fall into that trap. You know, be smart about it. Get the right education and make sure you're doing it right so that not only do you stay healthy, but you get the progress that you want. So when it comes down to the question of what is the perfect workout, well, there is no perfect workout. All workouts are perfect if you do them perfectly, uh, but no, workout, no one workout is going to do everything. So that's why your knowledge when it comes to fitness is actually what's going to keep you consistent and keep you motivated because you'll be ready to say, okay, what, what am I going to do next? What's this next cycle? How can I challenge myself the next way? And of course, having a plan. If you don't have a plan, you're just, you're never going to get anywhere. Just like driving around in circles. Um, I know recently I was kind of in a transition where I was doing a lot of things that were not in the gym and I was just going to the gym and do a little of this and that. And I, I got to tell you, the motivation was not there when there wasn't a plan. I mean, yeah, I know what to do and I know what I wanted to do, but there wasn't really that much oomph in it until I actually went back and said, okay, this chunk of time, this is what I'm doing. And all of a sudden, yeah, the motivation is a lot higher when you actually have a plan and a start finish point. Also, the pressure to get that workout done on that day because you only have so many days to make it up, if at all. So again, having a plan is going to make a huge difference in staying consistent. And of course, that's going to make a huge different difference in how you get your results. So no matter what the workout is or the protocol is that you're using, there's three main things that we're looking for when it comes to a workout, and that's metabolic stress, you know, doing whatever you can that is going to impact your metabolism the most. So that's using your larger muscle parts like your legs and your back, doing things correctly so that you are stressing those larger muscles, maybe moving quicker from one exercise to the other so you're getting some cardiovascular work, anything that's going to impact your metabolism. The second thing would be greater intensity. Are you getting stronger? Or are you able to have more endurance? Um, are you getting better at certain exercises? Because sometimes when you're doing the bigger lifts like squats and deadlifts, it's not always about how much weight you use. It's about how well you can do the technique. Because when it comes down to anything, if you're not doing the right technique, you're really not getting the most from the exercise and you could potentially hurt yourself. So think about what the progress mark would be for whatever you're doing. And then the third thing you want to use as one of your goals for your workouts is your time under tension. So did you really work that muscle through the entire range of motion or did you kind of throw it around? Basically, was there some quality time under tension? Because it's not how much you lift, it's how you lift it. So making sure that, again, you're using the right muscle through the whole range of motion and keeping it tight, not just going up and down, but really focusing on using, for say, the biceps to engage when you're lowering and then the elbow joint to be what bends, not your whole body that goes forward when you're trying to do that curl. So obviously lots of things to think about, and most of it stems around having some sort of plan or some sort of guide. And when I do programs online for people, that's basically what they get the most from because they have a plan. They can check back with me, make sure they're doing things right or making sure they're feeling the right intensity by different 
ways they can describe things. I can understand what they're doing. And even now doing the Zoom or FaceTime just to check forms and things like that makes a huge difference in when somebody is consistent or not. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, if nobody's um, asking you, how did you do? Did you do this? Did you get it on time? You know, what was this? How did this feel? Um, there's not as much incentive to actually do it. There's definitely a million excuses and not necessarily enough accountability. And I think we all know that it is that accountability and consistency that makes your results come faster rather than not at all. Now, if you didn't know this, you might not because some of my websites have been kind of messed up for a while with things that have been going on, um, but they're all updated now. And uh, there's a definitely a a lot of different things that you can use for your own education and for your own accountability for working out with me. There's programs that are 12 weeks, six weeks where you get the workouts and you do them and you check in. There's also audio workouts that I've created for cardio and for weight training, both in the gym and not in the gym. So basically it's if I was standing right there next to you and telling you exactly what to do every step of the way. There's different videos at uh, quickfitclub.com and those are ones that you can do for just one workout. There's also ones that are one-week programs and two-week programs. Um, I haven't committed to doing the four new programs each month just because there's so much going on. So I'm trying to figure out the best combination of that to get you some new workouts with um, without overwhelming myself and not being able to actually keep up with it. Now, uh, the first thing I was talking about, the programs and the audio workouts, those are all at fitnessmakeover.com. And all of my websites have links to each other, so you should be able to find things pretty easily. But for sure, if not, send me an email because you know, I don't always get a chance to check every little link and make sure everything makes sense, or maybe it makes sense to me but not anybody else. So I try to make things simple, and as a matter of fact, if you go to the fitgirlpodcast.com site, there are links to fitness makeover, club fit, uh, the apparel store, anything and everything. So given the knowledge that I've given you for the last several podcasts, go ahead and write up your own program. Pick certain exercises, use some of the different parameters that we discussed, and make yourself a plan now. That way you can ensure yourself success three months from now. If you don't start now, it's not going to happen. So commit to it now you might always have to restart on a Monday. Things don't always go the right way each week, but you have a better shot at keeping consistently consistency in your workouts if you actually have a plan. And of course, if you have no idea still what to do, then go to the websites because I'm cer certain to have some sort of program that's going to work for you um, and fit your schedule, your financial situation, whatever you need. Um, anyways, just something that's going to keep you on track. Okay, coming into nutrition, I'm first going to apologize if I sound like I'm snacking. I am actually dehydrated. Went out to, we went out to uh, lunch for the first time in a long time, and um, I had a hamburger and these amazing french fries that I haven't had in a long time either, but it was a very upscale restaurant, so it was really, really good. I mean, I practically licked the plate, but I'm paying for it today because I feel like my lips keep chapping up and so does my mouth, so sorry about that, but sometimes you got to enjoy those french fries. Um, and that's true of everything, isn't it? But that's certainly not going to help you if you have belly fat that you want to get rid of. But there are some myths and truths about belly fat that will help you as far as getting rid of it or maybe coming to terms with what, how, what it's going to take to get rid of it. First of all, you cannot get rid of it by doing crunches, by doing sit-ups, by doing leg raises, by doing pretty much anything exercise-oriented. Now, you can strengthen the muscles underneath, which may help you pull it in tighter and appear to give you a flatter stomach. But when it comes to body fat, just like every other body part, you cannot tell it where to come off from. I don't know if I that made sense, but your body will take body fat from where it wants. It will not take it from where you want it. And unfortunately, our bodies and our minds don't work together and even though you're doing all these crunches and abdominal work and twists and things like that, which number one, there's a lot of abdominal work I see people do that is completely useless and somewhat harmful. Um, just because you do a lot of it doesn't mean that it's going to flatten your stomach. It really boils down more to your, your nutrition than anything else. 
So we're going to go over some tips, nutrition tips, so that you can kind of try to get that belly a little bit flatter. And all the while, since you are toning those muscles underneath, it'll all come together as the fat comes off and the muscles get more toned. You'll be able to see more. And I don't know, I'm pretty sure I said this before, but just in case, always use your breathing when you're exercising. And when you exhale, you're tightening your abdominals. So not just when you're training abdominals, and that's kind of one of the, the secrets to having abdominal muscles, is use them all the time. When you're doing a bench press, when you're doing flies, anytime you exhale while you're exercising, tighten the abdominals, start focusing on that. Because when you use them for all your exercises, not only are you going to be impacting your body with that metabolic stress even more, which is going to be more beneficial for you in burning calories and everything that you need to get in shape, but it's going to increase the strength in that midsection, which is obviously going to be a good thing when it comes to your, your core strength and the safety of your lower back. And after a while, you won't even realize that you're doing it. And of course, the huge benefit of it is that you really won't have to do straight abdominal work very much, if at all. So I think that's a pretty huge benefit all the way around for using your exhales all the time for squeezing your abs. And you can practice that when you're sitting in the car too. Now, I did a little bit of research before um, I started writing about this topic, and I was really kind of surprised because I thought that nowadays we know so much more that you'd think we wouldn't have as much of um, an epidemic with abdominal obesity like we do, but we actually have it even higher levels of it now than in the past. Now, of course, there's plenty of reasons for that, but you know that's not our focus right now. Um, we're going to look for some cures rather than the causes. Uh, I just wanted to point out that I was really surprised to learn that in in the West, I guess what they would consider North America, um, the abdominal obesity rates have increased from 46% to 55% over the first decade of the 21st century. And so that's basically from the year 2000 to the year 2010. And I'm pretty sure by the year 2000, fitness was no longer a fad. I'm pretty sure even long before that, it wasn't a fad. So I'm surprised that the numbers would increase. I would think maybe they might increase a little bit or maybe even stay the same. Um, but to actually increase, well, I guess it's 1% each year, it just seems rather shocking because we have so much information out there and so much education. I don't even understand how it can be like that. Now, keep in mind that when we're talking about abdominal obesity, you know, we're not just talking about a little muffin top or a little spare tire. I mean, we're talking about a midsection that is so big that it's really impacting people's health and their way they function every single day. I mean, you've probably seen some people that are too big to sit in a regular chair. I mean, things like this um, are healthy on unhealthy on so many different levels that you would think that, that there'd be just more of a campaign for people to straighten up and do what they need to do. Obviously, there's those people that have certain met metabolic situations or reactions to medication. And, and in those cases, you know, it's more important for them to be actually alive and functioning and forget about the abdominal obesity and the effects of it until they get them themselves stable. So again, don't get upset if you're in that category because there are different priorities. So you know when I'm talking about this, I'm mainly meaning the people that know they should get rid of it and they're just not doing anything and they're um, making it worse. And that's really just so harmful to themselves. And when you think about it, you might say, well, so what? They're hurting themselves. Who are they hurting? Well, they're hurting the rest of their family. You know, I mean, when you think about if you've lost someone or, or if you had the thought of maybe somebody was going about to, to pass away or weren't taking care of themselves or whatever, you know how detrimental it is when you lose a loved one. So, I mean, people need to stop thinking of themselves and say, who, who cares? I'm not hurting anybody um, because you are. There's a lot of people out there that, that get hurt when... Uh, one person doesn't take care of themselves. Um, the other thing that is kind of surprising too, actually really surprising, is that uh, this increase in the abdominal obesity, you would think, oh, it's probably the older people. They're not as active. Well, wrong. They really aren't at all. I mean, this is the younger people, people in their 20s, that had the most excess belly fat. And 
I just really can't imagine that so many young people must have developed these bad habits uh, to get this way because, I don't know, when I was growing up, it was, you know, clean your plate, there's starving people, you know, somewhere. Um, and that was what we did. But I think we know now that's not what we have to do in order to help other people places. We know now that realistically us eating everything on our plate isn't going to help give food to a child in another country. So, you know, we are a little bit smarter in that respect. But knowing that, it doesn't seem to make much of a difference because here we are in the 21st century. You know, remember Buck Rogers? I mean, it kind of makes it funny now when you think back to when that show was on. I know I'm dating myself, but that's okay. Um, we're so advanced. And yet the statistics showed that 24% of men and get this 41% of women in their 20s had excess belly fat or were abdominally obese. Now, when we talk about that, we are looking at cardiovascular disease, different metabolic diseases, um, vascular diseases, I mean, even Alzheimer's and certain diabetes and just a whole slew of things. And this is people in their 20s. They should be in their best shape, even if they're not even exercising or doing anything, but 41%. And not sure what age group you're in. You might want to drop me a line. Let me know, you know, if you're just struggling with the last 5, 10 pounds or maybe 20 pounds. But, you know, if you've got more than 30 to lose, that's going to put you in a higher risk area. So um, I would be curious to know the age group that everybody is in, because that just seems really like a young age to have that type of an issue already. But maybe I just don't get out that much, um, or maybe because I live in a place where it's hot and everybody's half-dressed all the time, um, I don't see a lot of younger people that are obese like that. If these were actually statistics that you heard and said, yeah, that makes sense based on what I see in my town, then send me an email. Let me know. Let me know what, you don't tell me what town you're in, but you know, what state you're in. I'm just always curious as to um, the accuracy of these things. You look at the studies, you look at the numbers and all that kind of stuff, but you know, they don't tell you where and exactly who they're studying. So anyways, always looking for that extra information. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of this is because there is a difference between that type of fat and the type of fat that you want to get rid of if you're just thinking of a, a muffin top or just a little little spare tire blubber or whatever you call it. Um, this, this, this abdominal obesity is not an extra 5-10 pounds. This is deep set fat and they actually have a name for that versus belly fat. Belly fat is actually referred to as subcutaneous fat which is basically something found underneath the skin which would be on top of the abdominal muscles. And that's going to be much different than this abdominal obesity that we talk about as being deep set fat, which is called visceral fat. And that's actually fat that's stored below the abdominal muscles and surrounds all of the internal organs of your body, like the liver, the pancreas, the heart. So, you know, you can see why that could be so scary as far as what it's doing to your insides, because it can attack basically your organs and limit their proper function. And obviously that's going to destroy your metabolism and your cardiovascular function. It's almost like suffocating your internal organs with all of that visceral fat. And that's really scary. So if you know somebody that falls in that category, talk to them about the health aspects of it. Now, if they're just in the subcutaneous fat category, where again, you have it on top of the muscles, it's also intermuscular fat, which is also important for your body and joints to function because that is throughout your skeleton. So you can't get rid of every single ounce of fat because if you did, your body wouldn't function inside or out. You know, you need something along your skeletal muscles. So don't be obsessed with the 0% body fat because that would mean you're a skeleton. And I don't think that's healthy, obviously, because you're dead. So let's go back and talk about that fat that we're concerned about in fitness. The one thing to at least be happy about, maybe, is that as unsightly and annoying as the belly fat might be, it's not necessarily as damaging to your health. So, hey, you got that going for you. Now, the placement of your visceral fat is going to determine whether you're apple-shaped or pear-shaped. And the apple, in case you didn't know, you're round in the middle. The pear-shaped means you carry your fat in the button and the upper thighs, so you look like a pear. And that, well, that's just gonna be your body type and there's nothing you can do about it, it's the way you're made. 
So here are some things that I hear often, and they are actually myths, and I'm going to you know, counter them so that you know the right information. So the first myth that I've heard a lot is that someone will say, well, I just, I can't determine what my visceral fat is. Well, yeah, you can't determine what your subcutaneous fat is to the actual ounce or degree or however you want to measure it, but you can tell if that extra weight around the middle is just cosmetic or if it's hazardous to your health. I mean, it's, you, it's usually pretty obvious, but if it's not, that's okay because there are ways that you can figure it out yourself. And I know you're probably thinking body calipers, MRIs, CAT scans, all that stuff. Well, sure, but who's got time for that and who wants to go to the hospital these days and you know who can afford that? Well, the one thing that you can do to figure this out is incredibly affordable and you probably already have it right now. And it's a measuring tape. All you have to do is measure your waist. And you know what, realistically, if you're trying to change your body, you should be doing your measurements regularly anyway, because that's the only way you're gonna know if you're making progress. You have to measure where you have your largest areas because the weight isn't gonna come off exactly where you want it. It's gonna come off a little bit of everywhere. And if you just go by the scale, you're gonna set yourself up for failure and frustration. So anyways, you should already have a tape measure. That was a trick question. And you're gonna measure yourself. So basically, you're going to take that and you're going to measure around what's called the iliac crest, which is your hip bone, okay? And you should be able to find your hip bone. If you cannot find the front hip bones, then you're probably in that abdom abdominal obesity category. So once you do measure it, however, the abdominal obesity is actually classified as being a waste I mean, and that's not even, that's, we would, I would consider that hips, but they call it waist, whatever. Um, larger than 102 centimeters for men, which is 40 inches, or larger than 88 centimeters for women, which is 34 and a half inches. So what we would probably calculate that, or, you know, I would envision that as being your lower abdominals. So a little bit below the belly button. But regardless, Whenever you're measuring, it has to be in a consistent spot. So whatever spot you use, use that. The problem sometimes with the belly button is that as the waist gets smaller around the, the smallest part of it, um, it'll slide up and then you can't really get an accurate measure. So, you know, different, take different measurements, different ways, and just look for the change, whether it's a positive or a negative. Now, there's another way to do it. That one was actually the U.S. National Institute of Health that said to do it right there at that hip bone. And then the World Health Organization suggests actually doing it halfway between your lower rib and the iliac crest, which is that hip bone. And it, so that kind of gives you more of a range that is closer to what I would consider the waist. And it might even, you might even find that's exactly where your belly button is. So if you use that site halfway between the hip bone and your lower rib, which is actually going to be different for everybody because we're all, you know, bodies are made differently. Some are long on top and short on the bottom. But anyways, if you use that and your measurement is larger than 94 centimeters or 37 inches for men um, and 80 centimeters and 31 and a half for women, then yeah, you've got that, that health um, hazardous to your health, abdominal obesity. And I will put this on the notes because I know trying to remember what exactly I'm saying when it comes to numbers is, you know, in one ear out the other. Um, the, the way I would probably do it just because I'm super mathematical and anal is measure both ways, both places, and then divide them, get an average. But it really, it's just about following that consistency. And it's a good thing to do because number one, you'll determine, am I, am I at risk for health issues because of my waist? Or, you know, am I just cosmetic and need to get it a little bit down because I want to? Uh, because whether you want to fit in certain clothes or do certain things or whatever. But either way, you need to know your starting point. So write it on your calendar or put it in your phone or log it somewhere. That way, two weeks from now, you can Try it again. Don't do it every single day. You'll drive yourself freaking nuts because with our water intake and elimination and all that kind of stuff, it's going to fluctuate. So you've got to give yourself a decent period of time and 
be doing your consistent exercise because let's face it, if you're just having a holiday, don't measure it. I mean, seriously, just forget it. Enjoy yourself. Give yourself two weeks back on your program, then you can measure it. Okay, don't don't set yourself up like that because we need to live a little bit and not be so concerned about everything. But that's why, again, having a plan for a certain period of time is important because if you say to yourself, hey, you know, I'm not going to have cake or something or goodies or whatever for the next four weeks, then, you know, you can make that. It's a specific time period and that's where goals setting and all of that kind of stuff. That's why we're always making specific time periods because you can tell yourself that's not that long, you know, four weeks and then I can enjoy myself for the holidays and then I'll get back on track. You know, that's basically what you have to do. And same thing with this. You can't, can't do it all the time. Set your times to do it, whether it's two weeks or a month, the longer, the better, as long as you're being consistent with your workouts. And I guess I must say that you have to be consistent with your eating too, because you can work out all you want, but if you eat poorly, you're still not going to get results or you're going to get very bad results. I actually do measurements with all of the um, programs I do for weight loss because it's that important. Um, I know I have a video. I'm not sure if I put it on YouTube or where, but it's somewhere floating around and I'll make sure I find it and post it as of exactly how to do those measurements. And basically I usually do under the armpits, the small of the waist, the belly button, that hip bone, and the upper thigh. And sometimes the upper arm, just depending on the person if they want that or not. Those are all key sites for measurements that you can at least tell something's changing. It's not always going to come off the hips first. You know, you might find that the arms go down and the upper, uh, around the upper chest, which we would call actually the back, goes down. Anyways, just having some indication that something is changing in the direction you want it is really all you need because then you'll know it's eventually going to get to those trouble spots too. Okay, so here comes another myth. You automatically gain belly fat as you age. Well, obviously, that's not true since the studies we just saw said that people in their 20s had a huge increase in belly fat. Um, there is some evidence that it can increase, but it doesn't have to. It's not a given. So the visceral belly fat is more about your hormones and your insulin sensitivity, which changes as you get older. So yeah, you're, I think we all know your hormones do change between the ages of, say, 25 and 65. And in that respect, yeah, belly fat has the potential to increase more than double in men. And, and I hate to say this, but quadruple in women. But that's because, of course, men with the higher muscle have a faster metabolism than women. So, I mean, they're not taking into account a woman who might have a higher muscle percentage and a lower body fat which would be more along the lines of the metabolism of a man. And you would get that from your weight training. Cardio is not going to give you that type of metabolism. But in the same respect, it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to gain fat. I mean, I've had these arguments with people where they say, well, I'm 60, so you know I'm supposed to gain 10 pounds every year. It's like, well, if you gain 10 pounds every year, from when you turn 50 to 60, you're going to be like, I don't know, a balloon eventually. I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense at all. And it's really sometimes an excuse for people that have gotten off track or maybe they never even did anything in the first place. But don't think that that's automatically going to happen. Okay, sure, you might be more susceptible to your belly fat gain. I mean, some people are, are gaining it easier elsewhere. So it doesn't mean it's automatic. Now, after the age of 50, men do have a decrease in testosterone. And we probably know that from all of the ads we see about testosterone boosting. Um, and women decrease in estrogen, but actually maintain our testosterone levels. But because these ratios decrease, it throws off the hormones altogether and can contribute to that, that belly fat gain. So these are things not to be afraid of, but things to be aware of and, you know, look at it with your eyes open and realize, okay, well, you know, am I really eating more right now and not exercising? Or am I maybe skipping my weight training and just doing cardio? You know, these are things that will cause you to have the bad effects of, you know, increased fat um, as opposed to, you know what, I've been very good on all of my eating. I've been doing my exercise. My weight training is a priority. I do some cardio. Everything should be great. And yet I'm gaining you know, then 
yeah, there might be some major hormonal changes and you might definitely have to get to a doctor and see if you can balance those out. Now, the other thing we said in the beginning is not just hormones, it's insulin sensitivity. And insulin sensitivity has a lot to do with fat loss, no matter what age you are. You know, it's how your blood sugar levels react and how your body deals with the types of foods that you eat. And it does decrease when you lose muscle. So basically, if you are dieting extremely or doing too much cardio or just both, and you're dropping muscle instead of body fat, which you would know that by dropping a ton of pounds on the scale um, quickly, that's definitely going to be muscle, then that's going to do the same thing. It's going to make your body much more susceptible to that weight gain around the belly. Right, so be very aware of that. I mean, it kind of goes back to doing things the right way. Well, there's a reason why it works for long term. And you've, you've got to do things the right way or otherwise something's going to backfire. So that insulin sensitivity and muscle loss, yes, it can be caused a little bit by aging. Um, there's not as much muscle loss as people think or that studies have showed in the past because people are doing weight training and they are keeping more muscle, especially when they're older in their 70s and 80s. And most of my clients are kind of in that range and in their 90s. And several of them have said to me, I never thought I would make it to 90. And you know, not only are they there, but they're, they're doing great. So muscle is more important than anything else when it comes to all of these factors. And yes, I said aging a little bit, but illness, injury, those are a lot of the things that will make you lose muscle. And the biggest thing that will make you lose muscle is poor nutrition and a sedentary lifestyle. Of course, you knew that part, but your nutrition plays a huge role in whether you maintain your muscle or whether you lose the muscle. And what happens when it comes to that whole insulin action in your body is that it's a vicious cycle. You lose muscle and you have a reduction in your insulin binding, and this leads to increase in fat gain and changes in your hormones that regulate hunger, which leads to overeating, and the cycle repeats all over again with more muscle loss. And see, it just keeps going over and over and over. And you've got to break that pattern. Now, nine times out of 10, breaking that pattern comes down to eating the right foods at the right times. Um, for some people, it really does come down to hormones and some sort of medication that will help them regulate things. But I really have seen more often than not that it's the eating that will make a difference. Um, the medicine is there to help, but that's after you've done everything right and it still doesn't work. Now, I know we often think of hormones as being those things that we go through with, with puberty and menopause and all that kind of stuff, but there's also another hormone that is completely underestimated, and that is cortisol. And you release that when you are stressed. And I think we've all been that way for, well, at least once in our lives, if not many times, if not recently. So when cortisol increases, your body tends to deposit fat in the abdominals. Now, when you think about that, that really sucks because that means that we can't spot reduce. We can't tell the fat where to come off of, but the fat can tell us where it's going to go. So that's not real fun. So the, basically, we need to do what we can so that the body isn't in stress, whether it is from eating on a schedule so your body knows it's getting food, whether it's doing deep breathing or meditation to reduce those cortisol levels, um, whether it's just the way we perceive everything around us. You know, some people, everything's half empty, some half full, and somehow some sort of compromise there might work as well. But don't blame yourself because this is the way the body's set up. Okay, it's, it's back to the cavemen. We can blame them if we want to, but actually whoever created us is the one that set it up this way. And our bodies evolved this way for long-term survival. So basically when you're stressed out, your body thinks that it's the, that whole fight or flight and it's going to put fat where you're going to need it later on. And that's why, again, important to make sure you're getting regular feedings and not overstress, obviously for many other reasons too, but... Your body reacts when food is scarce by putting it in the belly because belly fat is a quick source of fuel for your body. And I know you're thinking, well, then why doesn't it use it now? 
Well, unfortunately, it still wants to keep it there because the body doesn't trust you. It thinks that you're going to, at some point, stress or starve or run out of food or whatever. So it's got to keep it there. All right. So we have to do everything we can to trick your body into knowing that food's going to be there. Everything's going to be okay. We're nice and calm. I mean, these are really hard things when you think about it, but the body's set up one way and our minds are set up somewhere else. But I tend to think that our minds might be a little smarter and we might be able to win if we do the right things. So I've given you two myths. Um, I've got two truths and then some tips here. So truth, belly fat and exercise. So again, go look at some of the past episodes. I think there's so many of them that what I talk about spot reducing and I'm still shocked that people still think it's possible. Um, that's actually one of the reasons I started doing these podcasts because when I had my gym, everybody would come in and they'd say some of these myths and I had to dispel them and say, no, that's, that's really not true. We know this now and blah, blah, blah. So rather than having to repeat to every single person, I started the podcast so that I could tell a lot of people the same thing. And yet it's still out there, um, that whole spot exercise thing. So it's not burning fat in the location that you're working, okay? You can strengthen specific muscles, but you can't dictate where the body fat's gonna drop. So doing exercise on the inner thighs or doing butt kicks are not gonna significantly change the fat that is there. Now, if you have an underlying issue or weakness, then you might have to do exercises for those specific muscles. But again, inner outer thigh all day is not gonna do anything to get the body fat off of there, nor is it gonna do much to change your total body fat, which is really what you should be focusing on because the larger muscles are going to burn body fat all day long. Those small muscles are not. I mean, it's just that simple. Um, so it just, you know, it kills me all the time when I go to the gym and I see women on the inner outer thigh machine or men swinging their legs thinking they're doing lower abdominal exercises or, or twists or side bends, things like that. I mean, yes, they're maybe getting some flexibility in those areas, but they're not reducing fat. So good news is the exercise helps if you're doing the large body parts to impact your metabolism. And if you're doing focus on the correct muscles, okay, but doing all these little muscles is not going to impact your metabolism. So I, I don't want to say waste, don't waste your time, but don't waste your time because the adductors, which is, are the inner thigh, they're going to get worked when you do your leg curl and your squats and your lunges and, and all of those things, plus the bigger muscles. So focus on what you get your most bang for the buck and not these other things that just kind of give you a false sense of security. Um, your main goal is to improve your metabolic health, and you do that with the right exercises and your nutrition, and that's what's gonna ultimately get rid of that body fat in time. Um, it does require more effort on your workout because yes, those are harder workouts. Large body parts tend to be very cardiovascular, and if you're limiting your rest time to get a little cardio and at the same time, it can be quite challenging, especially when you're using a challenging weight. Because um, hopefully you know by now, don't just grab a small weight and do a million of them. That's not going to do you any good. Now, the other thing is your nutrition program. Sure, maybe you need to eat a little bit less, but that doesn't mean you need to starve yourself or skip meals or go more than four or five hours without food. You know, you've got to get that constant feeding. Remember, you need to remind your, your body that it's going to have a constant flow of food and it can let go of that belly fat, that it doesn't need it for future storage. Um, so when I hear a lot of these different programs talk about, oh, just move more and eat less, and it's like, okay, sure. And if it was that easy, none of us would have an issue. But obviously, it's not that simple. Calories in, calories out. No, it's not that simple. Um, and that's also a way to mess up your metabolism. Um, so that's going to be counterproductive in the end also. So the second truth is good news that it's possible to balance your hormonal changes, at least to some degree, with lifestyle choices, with a good nutrition plan, and a solid exercise plan. So let's start with the exercise plan and some tips to incorporate. And you will find that I've discussed some of these in other episodes, so be sure to look through the archives for those too. The first one, of course, any moderate exercise program is going to lead to some reduction in fat. But 
an interval training program, especially for those who have already been training, is going to be more effective. And especially when you use weight training as part of that interval program, if not all of the interval program, um, it's going to be most effective because it leads to those permanent changes in your body. And it also affects how your body uses energy. And it does increase that post-exercise afterburn. So your body burns more calories at, at an accelerated rate for 24 hours. That's what the afterburn is. Um, but again, with the added muscle, your metabolism is going to stay higher when you're just doing nothing at all. So it's yet another reason why weight training should be a priority for you um, more than cardiovascular. Because remember, with weight training, if you are challenging yourself and you're going at the heaviest weight possible for 10 reps and then repeating that with very little rest in between the, the sets, yeah, you will have a high cardiovascular rate and you will be puffing and you will be, will be sweating. So don't worry about that. That's easy to get when you're doing intervals with weight training. So as far as exercise goes... You got to work hard. That's all. Simple enough. Now, when it comes to nutrition, a couple of things that you might not uh, know, or maybe you weren't aware of, or maybe you forgot, but having protein with each meal. And when we say me meals, um, I'm kind of referring to a feeding time because when you're eating every four or five hours, uh, it doesn't always coordinate with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So your feeding time, uh, you want to make sure you have some protein and you're going to have to plan your meals. Again, same thing, if it's haphazard, you're not going to get the right nutrients in and you're going to lose muscle and that's going to make you gain weight easier. So you definitely have to prioritize that by planning your meals and you know your high protein foods, chicken, beef, turkey, eggs, yogurt, fish, all these things. I'm pretty sure we have some lists on the, um, the Fit Girl blog too. If you're vegan, yeah, you're going to have to do a little more planning to get the right amount of nutrients, but you still want to focus on those protein grams. All right, so probably anywhere from 20 grams of protein to 40 per feeding is what you're going to be looking for. Now, it's important for a bunch of different reasons. Again, there's other episodes we've gone through with this, but basically just to remind you, protein reduces your hunger and helps you to control your appetite. It preserves your lean muscle. It helps you to promote muscle recovery, and it even improves your blood sugar control and lowers your insulin, which we've already talked about how insulin is a factor in your belly fat. So again, one more reason to prioritize that protein. And to back that up, science even found that those people who consumed high quality protein at every meal had less belly fat. Now, when you talk about high quality protein, it's actually defined as a protein that contains at least 10 grams of essential amino acids, which is not necessarily your average protein. Um, the amino acids are usually found in animal protein. So again, with the vegans, you're going to have to definitely supplement with amino acids because you're not going to be getting them, um, I, I don't think, from your plant protein or at least not in the significant quantities that you need. All right, so the next tip you've probably heard until you're blue in the face, but it still has to be said, you need to increase your high-fiber plant foods and eliminate or reduce added sugars and refined carbs. So it doesn't mean that all carbs are bad and carbs combined with different foods are actually very good and much more productive for you. It's just that of course I think we all know the high highly refined carbs, things that are very high sugar contents. Um, there's a lot of things out there that are just bad. Uh, have them on occasion, enjoy yourself, but as a mainstay, no. And we do need to have more fiber and dark colored fruits. The darker the green, the better. And of course, you know, these your fibrous vegetables are the ones that are crunchy and green. So, um, oh, also cauliflower, but you know, it's, I don't know, I think it maybe has started out green because it's white and it kind of looks like broccoli. So maybe they're related. Not sure about that. Don't, don't quote me there. But your dark colored fruits, um, leafy greens, sweet potatoes have a lot of fiber too. Uh, green beans, citrus fruits. I mean, there's plenty of things that you can look up online and find out and really incorporate a variety into your food. I mean, even just having a little bit on a salad and mixing up all those things that I just said is going to give you a lot better uh, boost for your metabolism. Now, we talked about the importance of insulin and fiber has insulin managing properties. 
along with keeping you full longer. So now we've got two things that not only help us keep full longer, but also help with our insulin management, and that is your fiber and your protein. So we can see the importance of both of those. Um, and again, referring back to science, there was a, actually, a, this is interesting, a five-year study. Uh, it was on those who ate more fibrous fruits and vegetables and had significantly lower body fat. And they found that for each 10 gram increase in fiber consumed per day, basically throughout the day, so it boils down to, no pun intended, uh, two cups of broccoli throughout the day. I mean, that's very doable. The rate of belly fat decreased by 3.6% over the course of the study. So basically you're looking over five years, people had two cups of broccoli a day. I mean, you know that's gonna be healthy for you, but it just had the nice side effect of dropping belly fat. So you're just eating your normal stuff and dropping belly fat. I mean, that doesn't get much better than that when you don't have to do something and it works anyway. So one more thing that you can add into your arsenal of nutrition is uh, green tea and coffee. And they can actually, yes, Give your belly fat a little bit of, you know, a double punch as far as getting rid of it um, because they both improve that insulin sensitivity and they can increase your energy, give you some motivation to exercise. Now, um, green tea in particular has really high levels of certain antioxidants that promote fat burning by reducing hunger. You know, of course, anything that's going to help us keep our eating in control is going to help with weight loss and help with fat control. So basically, when you reduce hunger, it's going to help your body to not consume more fat or store more as fat as long as you can maintain your regular feeding intervals. So a lot of this is somewhat common sense. Maybe um, scientists suggesting that drinking green tea daily as a part of a, a nutrition program to target that belly fat can help work with other dietary factors such as the, the high quality foods, the increase in protein, the increase in the fiber, um, and of course they have to throw in while avoiding sugar sweetened beverages, processed foods, and alcohol. So yes, alcohol has a major impact on all of this. That's a whole other episode. But anyways, uh, I'm not going to get into that because we've already talked for so long. I'm starting to lose my voice. I don't think I've talked this long in a long time. To sum it all up, don't be a victim of some of these myths and some of the hype as far as, you know, this part that can melt belly fat. Well, nothing can do it by itself. It's a combination of everything, and that's your smart plan when it comes to working out, a combination of nutrition and basically just feeding your body regularly to allow it to let go of that fat. So like anything else, you have to prioritize, you have to plan. And that is in your food choices and your exercise choices in order to get that belly fat off the way you want. So if you need help figuring out all of this kind of stuff, then just go to fitnessmakeover.com and click on the program section and you'll find different nutrition, workout, all sorts of different programs that can help you with all of this. And I'm even working on some new coaching programs so we can work one-on-one -on -one together for your special needs and your schedule and you know anything, any other types of concerns that you might have. Um, keep in mind that a lot of weight loss and exercise and all of that has to do with the mind too, which we're about to get into in our motivation section. So there's been a couple of key questions to ask yourself when you're setting goals and making a plan for success in anything you do. One of them should be not to have salty french fries before you do a podcast. Um, but sorry about that. So dried out right now. Um, anyways, motivation comes from obviously within and only you can know the answers to these questions. So here's question number two, which you may not have thought about. You can ask yourself, what additional knowledge, skills, or information are required for me to achieve this goal or maybe complete this project. You might have the majority of the skills and the majority of the knowledge, but you might be lacking in certain areas. And that's especially true when it comes to getting in shape, because if you had all of the knowledge, skills, or information, then you'd be in shape and you wouldn't be worrying about it or struggling with it or still even thinking about it. You'd know what to do and you'd be able to maintain much easier. And I'm going to tell you, it is much easier to maintain once you get there. It's making that commitment and plan to get there, which can require anywhere from 
four weeks to six months to two years. It just depends on what your goal is. So when you're writing down your goals, then obviously you're going to be making out your plan or at least an outline, and that should show you what you might be lacking. And maybe you don't know enough about certain exercises, lower body exercises. Maybe you don't know enough about nutrition. Maybe you've got uh, certain um, medical issues that affects how you eat or maybe affects how your body deals with nutrients. You know, maybe you need a doctor to help you with these things too. I mean, not everything is automatic and we're not all exactly the same. There's a saying that goes, whatever got you to where you are today is not enough to get you any further. And to some degree, that's true. I mean, some of it, maybe not so much. Because sometimes we know what we should be doing and we don't do that. But that definitely means that we need additional skills in order to entice ourselves to get something going that we already know about. So where can you actually find that extra incentive or those extra skills that you need to make yourself motivated uh, or that additional knowledge that is going to make it all click for you and say, hey, this is why I'm doing this. This is why it's worthwhile. And this is going to be the end result. So can you find that information online? Do you need to spend time with somebody that's already been through what you're trying to do, almost like a mentor? Um, do you hire someone to teach you how to do that? And a lot of times with fitness, it comes down to motivation or maybe lack of motivation. And that tends to be your thought process, your mindset, um, how you view things, how you've learned about things. And sometimes you need a fresh outlook. You might be stuck in that self-sabotage cycle and can't get out of it. So who do you go to in order to help you get through that? And there could be a lot of people. It could be a good friend who has always observed the way you sabotage yourself when you're getting close to reaching your goal. It could be a professional a therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever you know, type of head doctor or thought doctor or whatever can help you. There can be self-help tapes. It could be even some different things that you read online or, God forbid, go to the library or the library online. But anyways, what information do you need to help yourself stop doing some of the things that ruin your motivation or maybe set you up for failure? And I hate to harp on it, but you have to plan this out. And the only way you're going to do that is if you start writing down what stopped you in the past and what knowledge you might need or what knowledge you could have had that may have helped you complete something in the past. And do you need to develop certain skills, whether it's uh, mind techniques, relaxation, meditation, uh, even just thought processes? You know, sometimes you look at the glass half empty. Maybe you need to learn how to look at it half full. Um, what do you need in order to, to reach the full potential that you want, whether it's for a weight loss or for a fitness goal or just anything in general? There's going to be some information out there that's either going to help you further your cause and help you make the right decisions in what you need to do to make your goal. And also, there's going to be that information that helps give you that black and white of whether I go work out or I don't work out and make it that much easier for you because you know that you're going to get that end result that you want. So take some time this weekend and write down what additional knowledge do I need, what additional skills do I need or information to achieve blank whatever your goal is, and start working right away on it. If you were on my email list, then you probably got noticed that finally the apparel store is open and all set and looks great. And that has a lot of shirts that I've designed for motivation. Um, we use them for rewards, you know, when people reach certain goals or complete a program or six-week cycle or, or whatever. And these designs are also kind of making their way around the internet because they're also available on Etsy. And there's some of them that are also available on eBay and coming soon to Amazon.com too. So definitely you'll be seeing these around um, and you can go to any of the websites and you can click on apparel or apparel store or store and it'll take you right to them. And if you didn't get the email, Make sure you go to the Fit Girl podcast and sign up for notifications. That way, when we get ready to send out coupons and notices of new items that are being posted and new designs, then you'll know first off. 
And we've actually had great success with the shirts as a motivational tool um, because everybody loves them and there's a lot of different styles. Uh, that's where you'll find the major difference between the eBay, Etsy, and Amazon store versus the actual home store at Fitness Makeover. Um, that one is going to have more variety. Um, the the mainline stores, uh, Etsy, eBay, Amazon, are going to have just a few items. They're not going to have the full-on selection um, because there's only so many products that they will take and different ways to, to work with it, whatever. So anyways, you'll find more variety at the Fitness Makeover apparel store. Um, throwing around different names for it. Sometimes it's the Strong and Powerful store. Sometimes it's the Motivation store. But either way, you'll know where to find it and check it out. Let me know what you think. Um, and of course, if you purchase one of the items, take a picture of it and either tag me in an Instagram or you know, put it on the Facebook or email me directly, you know, anything, um, let me know and let me know what you like style wise, color wise, all that kind of good stuff. And as usual, there's lots of things in the works. So make sure you get onto any one of my email lists. That way you'll know when new things are out. Uh, we're working on some VIP programs and some webinar type training for mindset and a few other goodies. And a quick disclaimer, I'm using a different microphone yet again. Can't find one that I really like. So if it sounds funny, weird, different or whatever, then that's just me. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to giving you all the insights to help you reach all of your goals and to help you get your best body ever. If you'd like additional information on these topics and more articles on health, nutrition, and motivation, visit fitnessmakeover.com, allinoneworkout.com, or coachkira.com.